I want to thank Brother John for uh, some of the things that he said this morning. Um, he is absolutely correct that uh, when it comes to talking about uh, giving, generosity, how you spend your money, um, most people have the opinion that uh, the preacher has gone from preaching and now he's meddling. And, um, you know, to spend several weeks in a row on a subject such as this, um, you know, I'm just glad to see you showed back up this morning, you know. Um, but uh, as I was sharing with someone earlier, I'll, I'll say it again now, you know, uh, that's why I love to preach through books of the Bible. Um, because, you know, when I, when I set out to, to preach through 2 Corinthians, I knew all of the big topics that were there. I understood what I would be uh, touching on and different things. But the timing of it, God works that out. Um, and the content of it, I cannot avoid any particular topic just because it might be uncomfortable. Um, now, that may be the reason why I haven't yet preached through 1 Corinthians, uh, if you know much about that. But one of these days we'll get there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the latter half of my ninth year as your pastor now. There's only so much preaching I can do. So it just takes some time and I do my best to, to follow the leadership of the Lord in this process. And so, you know, we are in the middle of this book, the second letter uh, to the church at Corinth. And as we come to the end of this middle section of 2 Corinthians, we're going to be looking at the final teaching on the subject of generosity here in this text. Now, our sermon title this morning is Generosity, the Dispos Disposition of This Grace. And we've been talking all this time over these last two weeks about how that generosity is an outpouring of the grace of God. How that it is a ministry of grace or a service uh, to others and it is a ministry to the Lord. It is his grace that's been imparted to us that we are now imparting to others also. You see, two weeks ago we talked about the manifestation of the of the grace of giving or generosity or, or the display might be a better way of uh, saying that and how that God displayed his grace to us and we should then reciprocate to others. Last week we focused on how that generosity should be displayed or manifested and so uh, we talked about the implementation, how we do that. Um, and we talked about it both on a personal level, but also on a corporate level as a church, how we deal with money. And so we start out with the manifestation of generosity or the grace of generosity. Then we talked about the implementation. Now we're talking about the disposition. And you may say, what in the world is he talking about? What do you mean disposition of this grace? Well, there are a variety of definitions for the word disposition, but I want us to focus on the foremost meaning of this word. If you look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, the number one definition of the word disposition is a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. It is their disposition. It is their demeanor. It's the way that they act, the way that they think. It's who they are. It is their character. So when we talk about the disposition of this grace, we're talking about what kind of attitude we have toward generosity. We're talking about an attitude issue this morning. When speaking of one's disposition, we're talking about what they're like to, to be around. Like I said, their attitude, their demeanor. Uh, the way that they handle themselves when they're faced with various situations. You know, when we're thinking about their disposition, you might, you might ask the question, you know, is that person someone who is easily excitable or easily annoyed? 
Um, do they always seem to be angry for some time? This is what we're talking about when we're talking about disposition. Or are they always walking on the sunny side of the street? Have you met those people? I don't understand them exactly, to be honest. You know? I know some of you are pointing. Um, but I'm glad you're pointing on that one instead of the one where I asked, do they always seem to be angry? That, you know, that's a, that's a <laughs> don't point on that. Um, so when we give, when we're being generous, the question this morning is, what is our disposition? What is our attitude as we are giving? Um, what's going on in our mind? Why are we being generous? Are we doing it for what we're going to get out of it? I mean, there are a lot of philanthropists in the world that give because they can afford it because they're going to get something back. Now, I don't think any of us really qualify as a philanthropist in, in this room because uh, you got to have a whole lot more money than any one of us have, I think, to be qualified as such but why are we giving are we giving to get are we you know and by the way we talked about that last week in in second uh, corinthians 9 verse 5 talking about not giving as an exaction and how that was uh giving in order to get something uh you know so the question is is when we give do we have ulterior motives or are we giving out of obligation you see, folks, all of these that I've mentioned are the wrong disposition. It's the wrong attitude when we give. I don't want you to give out of uh, guilt. I do not want you to give uh, in order to get something out of it. I don't want you to give just to be praised or admired by people. You know, when we, when we went back or when we, when we changed over to having an online giving option, one of the things that I heard from someone about uh, their concern of whether we should have online giving for church or not was that people might not see me put something in the offering plate and then they'll think I won't, I'm not giving. That, that was a real thing. And I say, it's okay, they never see me put it in. So, you know, but... Why are we giving? Is it just to be seen by others? To be admired? Any and all of these attitudes reveal our disposition toward generosity. So in our text today, Paul gives us some guidelines for how we should give when we display this grace of generosity. And my goal is that today's sermon is a simple message with several opportunities for reflection and for self-examination. Because, frankly, we all know what we ought to be doing when it comes to the area of generosity. We all know that we should be giving and so forth. But in many ways, this is absolutely a very personal issue that each one of us have to determine what we are going to do. And so I want to give you that opportunity to do that. And so this morning, before I read our, our sermon text, I want to take a moment now to ask God to help us obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is indwelling your being right now. You have the Holy Spirit of God speaking into your heart and into your mind right now. And so as we study his word this morning, I pray that as you feel that nudge from the spirit, you will be obedient to whatever he is saying you should do in this area of generosity. So let's pray as we move forward. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word. I pray that um, your spirit would speak to our hearts and enlighten our minds to the truth that you would want us to 
to see and to focus on today. And Lord, I just pray that we will be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Father, help us to be obedient to the things that you have for us today. Help us to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit. And Father, I just pray that um, all that we do and say and uh, would be completely biblical and would bring honor and glory to you, Father. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's look at these attitudes that should be evident in our generosity. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin reading this morning in verse 6, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be, to, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So this morning, the first attitude I want us to focus on is probably the most popular passage uh, or verse in our passage this morning. Paul tells us that when we give, we should do so cheerfully, right? Verse 7 says... Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So how should we not give? How should generosity not be done? Well, it tells us here in this verse, it should not be done reluctantly or begrudgingly. When we give, we should do so in uh, a way that that we're excited about it, that we're we are you know we want to do it, not reluctant to do it. Also, it says that we should not do it in response to pressure or guilt. Verse seven again, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm telling you what the Bible wants you to do. But it's your, just your decision, always. It's your decision. You must make the decision as to what and how you are going to do it with the attitude that you're going to do it with. It is up to you. You must decide for yourself. So it tells us, don't give begrudgingly. Don't give out of guilt, but rather give cheerfully. Now, I think we all understand what a cheerful disposition is, right? And if you don't, you hopefully have seen the movie Mary Poppins. Do you remember? Jane and Michael Banks, the very first thing that they, they said to their dad when looking for a nanny. What did that nanny need? A cheery disposition. So my question to you this morning is how many of us demonstrate generosity in such a way that we are imitating the attitude of Mary Poppins. 
Well, I don't know. But if we look beyond the meaning uh, we discover from the 1964 Disney movie, we'll discover even more about this concept of being a cheerful giver from the original language of the text. You see the word cheerful, or maybe your translation says uh, cheerfully, um, in the original language, it carries the idea of being cheerful, of course, also the idea of being joyous, and also this third idea. It was a surprise to me, honestly. The third concept behind this word is prompt to do anything. So when it says to give cheerfully or that God loves a cheerful giver, it means that we must do so with a cheerful attitude, with a joyous disposition, and be ready to do whatever he asks, whenever he asks it, promptly. Hmm. We don't need to miss this point, guys. This is, this is, in, you know, this is something special here. Not only should we have a cheerful attitude and be full of joy no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in, we should also be prompt in our giving. You see, true generosity is joyfully giving when the need arises, not when you have the money to help at some point in time. Did you catch that? When a need arises, you give. Not just if there's a surplus. Hmm. This kind of giving requires a great level of trust in the Lord to provide for all your needs, even when you give generously. And I think that's what it boils down to. This, this whole concept of generosity boils down to what is our trust level in the Lord. How much do we trust him to do what he says? If we give the way he wants us to give generously, do we trust him to take care of our needs? He says he'll do it, right? But do we trust him? Do we trust him? Well, seeing that each person is to decide for themselves how much they're to give, I think that it is vital that we look back now to verse 6 to understand how generosity works and what's at stake. So notice the second thing now. Giving should not just be done cheerfully, but giving should be done purposefully. Giving should be done purposefully. Have you heard the saying, you reap what you sow? Right? You know, this phrase is almost exclusively used with a negative connotation in today's culture, isn't it? You know, if you do something bad, oh, you're going to reap what you sow. You know, if you do it bad, you're going to get bad. You know, sometimes I think that people look at this concept of, uh, you know, reaping what you sow as some sort of Christian karma. And folks, those words don't go together, Okay. Um, there is no such thing as Christian karma. Karma is a, a belief that's closely related to Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, and Taoism. We want no part of the teaching about karma. You see, karma is the idea that bad deeds and bad intentions bring about bad reality or results. And then it also is a teaching that good deeds and good intentions brings about good results. That is not what we're talking about here in verse 6 when it says that uh, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is not karma. Okay? When we try to understand the meaning of the verse, we must realize what God is using here to help illustrate what he's teaching. And he uses a simple uh, illustration of the law of the farmer or the, the law of nature that is farming, I should say. Um, in farming, 
When you sow seed bountifully, your harvest will be much better than if you sow seed sparingly. All right? So let's say you want to grow a vegetable. Most of you would say tomatoes, but that's a fruit. But um, I would not say tomatoes. I can't stand tomatoes raw unless you cook them and then I love them. I know you, we've had that conversation before, Sharon. Um, I love squash, though. Uh, yellow squash is my favorite. Unfortunately, my, it's not my family's favorite. But I have not grown a garden since I moved out of my, the house uh, with my parents. I've never had a garden myself um, just because it actually takes work and time and I, I would kill everything. So I buy my vegetables at Aldi. Um, but if you're going to grow squash, how effective would it be if you put one seed in the ground? Somebody who, who gardens, would that be effective? Absolutely not. So you know that if you want a lot, you've got to sow a lot. I mean, it's a simple, simple law of nature. If you sow sparingly, your harvest is going to be sparing. But if you sow bountifully, then your harvest will be bountiful. So this is the illustration that God uses here to talk about generosity and this, this concept of giving. Uh, in the New Living Translation, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So if the understanding of this verse is truly that simple, I think it's important for us to consider what seed is being sown and what reaping bountifully looks like. So when it talks about the, the person who sows sparingly or the person who sows bountifully, what are they talking about? What seed is being sown? Well, I think the seed being sown is whatever possessions we have to offer up to be used. Specifically here in this context, we're talking about money to give relief to the poor and suffering Jews in Jerusalem. That's, that's the seed that's being sown here. But I think the seed on a larger scale could refer to anything we have to offer. Anything in our possession that we have to offer. Whether that's our money or our time or our talents. Any of those things that we can offer to the Lord is the seed that is being sown. Now, reaping bountifully is not the idea of we give so that we can get more. Okay? That is not what the Bible teaches. And I'll be honest, I can remember as a young adult hearing Baptist preachers who would teach this concept that the more you give, the more you get. And folks, that is a slippery slope into the prosperity gospel. It is not true biblical teaching. It's not about giving so that we can get more. It's about giving because that's what God asks us to do and models for us. If we give to get, then we're not giving biblically. How can you say that, Brother Wade? Well, verse 5 tells us that. It says, be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We talked about that last week. We're not giving so that we can get something in return. We're giving because that is the example of our Lord. So the idea of sowing and reaping bountifully is better understood as investing in the kingdom of God. It's not sowing so that we get something back. It is sowing so that the kingdom of God is able to grow. Does that make sense? The harvest is in the kingdom. And that may or may not affect you personally. But the good news is, is the king is going to take care of your needs. Amen? French Arrington, a commentator, said, The gifts bestowed by Christians to relieve the distress of the needy and support the ministry of reconciliation must not be understood as throwing away of money. 
It is an investment just as grain is sown to yield its return. When we look at what we give, when we look at this ministry of generosity as an investment into the work of God in this world, it changes the way we see things. And so if we sow sparingly, our investment will only have a little bit of return. But when we sow bountifully or generously, that's when the return on our investment is much larger. Why is it so hard sometimes for us to give? Why is it so hard? I'll be honest with you. I think it is so hard for us to give because we lose sight of who the owner of all of our things is. We lose sight of who the owner is. You see, God owns everything, and he has entrusted to us some things. Some of us have been entrusted with more, and some of us have been entrusted with less. I've been, I, at this point in time in my life, am being entrusted financially with more than I've ever been entrusted with before. In other words, that means I make more money right now than I ever did as a missionary or, you know, whatever, whatever. Teaching in a Christian school, you don't get a big salary there. <laughs> so right now, God is entrusting that to me. I was faithful in a little. Let me back up. I learned eventually to be faithful in a little. And then God has entrusted me with more. You see, God owns everything I have in my possession. There's nothing that is mine. It is all his. And if we will remember that, that helps us open the grasp or the grip that we have on all of these things. And it helps us to remember, I'm only a steward. I'm only a steward of everything that he's given me. You know what, verse 10, we're jumping ahead a little bit. We'll come to it again in a minute. But if you read verse 10 in the New Living Translation, it says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. God is the one who provides the seed. So he's telling us to sow either sparingly or bountifully. It's up to us. But remember, he's the one that's giving us the seed. If we will remember that he's the owner and we are simply the steward, it's so much easier to let go and give it away. God tells us to sow bountifully by giving generously, without reluctance, without guilt, so that we are investing in things that have eternal value. We're investing in the kingdom of God. This is why verse 9 says, their deeds will be remembered forever. His righteousness endures forever. His deeds will last forever. What does that mean? It means when you invest in the kingdom of God, it has eternal value. So, we've considered giving should be done cheerfully. Giving should be done purposefully. The third thing I want us to look at is that giving should be done confidently. Giving should be done confidently. Our giving should be done confidently because God is able. He is able to make all grace abound to you is what it tells us in verse 8. And it, as he extends that grace to us, we can confidently extend that grace to others also. Again, this is the investing in things that have eternal value. God gives us grace, so we give grace to others. Now, the immediate application, as I mentioned earlier, is found in the taking up of a collection for the suffering Jews in Jerusalem. 
All right? The immediate context is talking about money and taking up this offering. But this principle is not just limited to monetary generosity. Consider, for example, Jesus' words in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. He said this, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see, when we're investing, when we're, we have this attitude of generosity, it's not just about money. It's about our lifestyle. It's about an attitude of generosity, not just writing a check. It can be as something as simple as giving someone a cold cup of water. You know, Peter's teaching about serving one another in various ways through the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit talks about this same kind of thing. In, in 1 Peter 4, he said, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. When we give, we should do so confidently because of the one who promises to reward us and give us a return on that investment. However we give. Again, I mentioned earlier, our, our money, or some, you know, the preachers who really like the alliteration, I do it some, but not as much as others, but treasure, time, and talents, all right? Our money, our talent, and our time. Those are the things that we have to offer we should be confident in our generosity, no matter what that generosity looks like, because God is the initiator of this grace. And when God initiates that grace in us and we reciprocate that out to others, he's going to take care of us, folks. We can be confident in that. The fourth thing I want us to consider is that giving should be done expectantly. Now, we've already looked at the beginning of verse 10, but I want to reiterate it in case you missed it the first time today. God is the owner of everything. And he allows me to be a steward of some of his possessions. He is the one who gives seed to the sower. Without him giving that to us, we would not have anything. Remember, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our time and God doesn't need our talents. But he wants all three of those things. He wants us to give of these things because of the impact that it will have on our lives personally. Some of you who are giving on a regular basis of your, your money, your time, and your talents. I want you to think back for just a moment in your life to that time in your life when you did not do that. And then think about that decision that you made that, okay, I'm going to start doing this, okay? How did that transform your inner being? Folks, we can't forget what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Or there will the desires of your heart be also. Wherever we focus our treasure, our heart will follow. God wants us to put him first in everything. He wants us to live a life of generosity. 
in all three of these areas. Money, talents, and our time. To focus more on one or neglect any one of these is to distort God's plan for this ministry of grace. I want to camp out here for just a moment. Because folks, you can be the most financially generous person and still not have a handle on this concept of generosity from God's point of view. Because it's not just about the amount that you give. It's all about the attitude in which you do that giving. It's all about, um, well, think about the, the poor widow that Jesus saw giving. And I, I didn't want to get into this because it's in your recharge study. And so I don't want to duplicate. But folks, he said she gave more than anyone else. How do we know that? Because she gave out not of her excess, but out of her need. She didn't have it to give, but she gave more. Even though it was a tiny, tiny amount. Folks, just giving a, a check that is generous is not what we're talking about here. It's about an attitude. It's about giving when, when we can't afford to give. And by the way, writing a check does not uh, excuse you from giving of your time and giving of your talents. But giving of your time and giving of your talents does not excuse you from writing a check either. And by the way, for those of you who are 30 years and younger, a check is a thing that... <laughs> That's why we have online giving. I literally write, I think, two or three checks a year. One to uh, Arkansas Department of Finance, one to the IRS, and one to Benton <laughs> County uh, for my property taxes. Those are the three checks I write each year. You know, um, <laughs> But it's an easy way to put it. Uh, to focus on one area or type of giving or to neglect any one of those areas of giving is a distortion of God's plan for this ministry of grace. He wants us to put him first in our money, yes. He wants us to put him first in our time. Ooh. He wants us to put him first in our talents. So what can we expect as a result of our generosity? Because that's what we're talking about here. Giving should be done expectantly. What can we expect? Well, God will provide seed for sowing. We talked about that. He'll, he'll provide the financial ability to bless others. And then as a result, it says that God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's what it says here, right? He will increase the harvest of your righteousness, verse 10. In other words, that means that he will not only provide for our physical needs, but he will also bless us with a spiritual transformation as a result of putting him first in our finances. That has a direct impact on our spiritual life, not just our finances, but on our spiritual life. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We will be enriched, he goes on to say in verse 11. We will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Meaning that when we live in such a way, we ourselves also find our deepest enjoyment and contentment when we are living a life of generosity. I was reading an article, this, I hadn't even thought about this till just now, I was reading an article a couple weeks ago um, that was about this concept of generosity and, and the, the person who wrote this blog had a picture of Scrooge McDuck diving into his uh, uh, pool of gold coins, you know. 
Um, and, and why is he called Scrooge? It's because greed brings about discontentment and anger and ill will to others. But when we're generous, it changes, changes who we are, gives us joy in our life. It brings contentment in our lives. You see, those that we bless, it goes on to say, will be filled with thanksgiving to God, meaning that God is ultimately the one who deserves our gratitude. But, you know, we should remember to extend gratitude to the ones that God uses to bless us as well. But when we bless someone, they give glory to God and have an attitude of thanksgiving to God. I know a lot of you are familiar with Financial Peace University. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, FPU is a two-month course created by Dave Ramsey based on biblical money principles uh, that teaches you how to save for emergencies, pay off debt fast, spend wisely, and invest for your future. Uh, but something that Dave Ramsey teaches in Financial Peace University is this quote, and that is, if you will live like no one else, later you can live and give like no one else. The point being, most people in the world today do not live a life of generosity. Most people in the world today are focused on to the point of maybe being consumed with what's in it for me. Right? We live in a culture that is that is inundated with greed and selfishness. And so if we will live like no one else, live in a, a, you know, a concept of generosity and contentment and joy and, and not focus so much on just materialism, then we can live and give like no one else later. I mean, think about it. how do most people live today? Above their, means. Above their means. They live on credit. You know, um, and I'm not going to, I started to start naming things. I'm like, oh, no, that'll get me in trouble for sure. You know, but, you know, we don't live a contented life. We go and buy things we don't need. We have so much that, uh, oh, now I'm really meddling. Um, I'm, I'm making myself feel guilty. But, you know, if it doesn't fit in your house, then it's more than you need, right? <laughs> um, most people, that's the focus of their life. How many people do you know, non-believers, would ever give away a portion of their income. That's what God's asking us to do. Put him first in our finances. Release it. Give it away. Live like no one else so that later we can live and give like no one else. Giving should be done expectantly because God is faithful and he will take care of us. Last thing I want us to look at this morning is that giving should result in thanksgiving. Giving is the result of thank should result in thanksgiving. You see, folks, ultimately the purpose for giving is twofold, and we find that here in these last four verses of this chapter. The first reason for giving is to meet the needs of the saints. And then secondly, to generate an attitude of gratitude in the one who is giving, in the giver. God uses this concept of generosity to meet people's needs and to transform our inner being. 
This happens when generosity is seen as a way to serve others. In verse 12, notice what Paul says. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs for the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's to meet the needs of the saints and it is to bring about an attitude of gratitude. But there's a phrase there at the beginning that when I first saw it, I was like, really? Ministry of this service. The word in the original language for ministry is often translated as the word service. All right? It could be either one of those. And then it uses a different word a couple words later for service. So literally what Paul is saying is the service of this service. All right? He... So in bringing these two terms together, Paul is emphasizing the other-centered nature of this giving to the saints of Jerusalem. It is a giving that reflects the heart of the gospel. Jesus was all about our needs when he went to the cross. He did not die for our sins because he wanted to. He died for our sins because he knew we needed him to. It was a service to us. It was a ministry to us. It was the ultimate display or manifestation of generosity. It was grace. And now he's asking us to also have this same kind of service to others. In verse 13, Paul once again points out this ministry of service. He asserts that this ministry or this service is the consequence of a life that is lived in submission. It says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. A couple of things we notice there. Confession of the gospel. This is what we believe. This is our salvation. This is our faith in Jesus Christ, our confession of the gospel. And then it talks about the generosity of your contribution. This contribution is literally the word for fellowship. You've probably heard the Greek word koinonia. And so he's saying that this is the generosity of your koinonia, your contribution or your fellowship. And so This ministry of generosity is the consequence of a life that is lived in submission. We must have fellowship with God. That is our confession of the gospel. And we must have fellowship with one another. That is the generosity of our koinonia, our fellowship or our contribution. You see, folks, true submission to Christ necessarily spills out sideways into how we treat other believers. I love that quote. It, it's by Dane Ortland in his book. I'm going to quote him in just a moment again. But listen to that. True submission to Christ necessarily spills out sideways into how we treat other believers. Our love for each other flows from submission to God and love for God. But if we put fellowship with one another before our fellowship with God, that destroys both. God wants us to put Him first, period. And there's probably nothing harder to do for most of us than putting Him first in our finances. And that's why it impacts our spiritual lives so intensely. Well, Dane Ortland summarized this section of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 um, in, in his commentary by writing this. He said, Paul concludes this section of the epistle by drawing the Corinthians' mind up toward heaven in thanksgiving to God. Gratitude has been a major theme of these concluding verses to chapter 9. 
in drawing these two chapters to a close with such an emphasis on thanksgiving, Paul is heading off any vaunted sense of sacrificiality on the part of the Corinthians. In other words, he didn't want to give them a big head about all that they were doing in their generosity. That, that's not the point. The point is, is giving praise and honor to God thanks, uh, with an attitude of gratitude or thanksgiving. He goes on and says, Whatever they give, it hardly compares to what they have been given. Amen? The grace of God that has come to them in Christ, it says, is inexpressible. And he concludes by saying this, We impoverished sinners have been given Christ with all his riches. Such mercy softens our clenched fist that hold on to our financial resources. Thanks be to God indeed. When we realize all that he has given, it opens our hands up to say, okay, Lord, this is yours. I'm yours. There's an old song. I can hear Darlene singing it right now. It said, I'm yours, Lord, everything I've got. Everything I am and everything I'm not. I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see, see if I can be completely yours. Folks, we've been given so much. The least we could do is to give back a finite portion of that grace. Because the greatest way to experience true joy and contentment in life is to live with open hands. Willing to give God everything that he asks of us. That's the secret to joy. That's the secret to contentment. That is this ministry of grace. Will you put him first in your life? In your treasure? your talents, and your time. Father, I thank you for this study in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Father, I thank you for the way that it has challenged me. And Lord, I just pray now that as uh, we spend this time in the next few minutes reflecting on your word, Father, I just pray that you would help us to each examine our own lives to see what way we need to change. Uh, help us to see what way we need to do things differently. L help us to see what our priorities are. And Lord, make you first in our lives. Father, give us the courage to obey. Give us the courage to do what you're asking us to do. And Father, we thank you for the grace that you have given us in our lives. And thank you for the promise that you will always provide for us no matter what the situation. Father, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.